Hey TMC followers, if you haven't already, check out the Story of God podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. It's a daily devotional that my wife and I do every single day, Monday through Friday, and I think it will be of some encouragement to you. Enjoy the podcast. You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here are your hosts... Ezra Beyer and David Hartkopf. Well, hey there. Welcome to another Monday Christian Podcast episode. And Dave, we've been off for a couple of weeks for some, probably some good reasons, I guess. Yeah, it seems like everyone's been either getting sick or going to school or just all the things. And so actually, I've been looking forward to seeing you today. And uh, I always enjoy spending time with you, Ez. Even if you make fun of me, once again, reference backstage, Ezra's been roasting me a little bit. But, That's right, uh, and you didn't you know, even get to I've, hear it. I know, broad shoulders, I can take uh, quirky yeah. Canadian humor, even if it's directed at me, so, yeah. Well, you did walk into it, because for those that are listening, you know, you just <laughs> asked, is my setup, you know, am I bright enough? And with, to which I replied, well, are you talking about the lighting? So, yeah. yeah. And I actually missed it, which is sad because I was so focused on what we're about to do. And then he kind of started laughing at me. So, you know, I'm, I've got broad shoulders. I can take it. No worries. Well, I've got the sneaky Canadian dry humor that just kind of slips in and just slides past you. And so I, the thing is, I can never let a joke go on unrecognized. Uh, and so I'll always have to pause if, uh, yeah. you know. Are you a case. big, so I would just be curious to know if you are like a dad jokes guy with your family. That would yeah. be something. Yeah. So, so my kids, Zoe did a pun uh, a couple of weeks or months ago now, but it was her first pun. And what was she saying? Oh, oh, she, she was looking at an ant on the floor and she's like, dad, she's like the ants, they won't answer me. And I was like, <laughs> you are on your way. <laughs> no. So yeah. Oh no, I, I do. You know, I think that's actually really important. So with our kids, even Azelle right now, she's four months yesterday, I think. And we, I, I joke with her all the time. And so Zeke and Zoe both have a very um, funny sense of humor because Zeke, he, you know, he's the guy that will just look at you very straight faced and then just like make some, you know, very funny comment. Zoe is very expressive and you know exactly what she's thinking at all times. Yeah, I think it's great for families to have that sort of inside joke. There's a whole culture in our family yeah. where if, if we we don't even have to say something, but if somebody says something, even our youngest, Judson, he's like five, he'll look at me and kind of smirk, and then occasionally he'll like <laughs> raise his eyebrows like uh, like Fuller from Home yep. Alone. And he like, we, we have these connections, and I think those things are great. I mean, laughter is important, and um, I never want to, I never want my kids to think like, hey, I'm... I'm like too important to laugh or something. Like yeah. Some, so. Oh yeah. Like I, I'm so online. I probably tend to come across as more sarcastic or whatever in person though. I, I do. I'm always joking with our kids. I mean, pro, it probably Zeke thinks I'm funnier right now. Cause he's still two. Zoe's starting to <laughs> grow Loathe up a little it. bit. And yeah. so there's times she'll kind of actually at four years of age, she'll groan at my jokes. So that tells you how bad <laughs> they are. Yeah, my middle schooler, she, I think she's, I think sometimes the occasional, you know, like, dad, you know, I just realize, I see what is coming ahead. I've 
kind of embracing it, but kind of a little nervous as well. So, yep. Um, do you, I mean, let me just ask you this, since we're this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I wonder what Jesus was like in a in a group setting like this, because I think sometimes, you know, if, especially if you only read like John's Gospel, it's kind of like he hovered around. You know, he's trying to kind of like let people know this was the Son of God. So the whole picture is very this high Christology, um, but. I just wonder if if there was a dinner party, if Jesus would have been hanging out, you know, throwing the Nerf football with my son. Yeah. And while the, all the important people were trying to politically maneuver and, and do all their things, I wonder if Jesus was just like laughing, telling jokes, like a knowing glance at somebody that shouldn't have had his attention. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I worry sometimes for people, especially, you know, think like, Christian leaders or anybody else that get in these positions, and I just wonder, like, does anybody ever get to know the real them? Are they yeah. ever known by anybody? Can you know? Does anybody ever know what they like? Even yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if that's that, that's yeah, healthy no, I, when you're constantly I, I, playing a character. You know, when I read the Book of Matthew, so my wife and I are doing this this uh, daily devotional, the Story of God podcast iTunes, yes. Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Right? Um, no, we're going through the Book of Matthew together, and when you go through the that gospel you see how Jesus will make these, oh, so here's a simple one, right? Like a millstone, put a millstone around someone's you know, neck and then they fall in the sea. That illustration is obviously you know, a crazy illustration because it's way overkill, I guess, pardon the pun. Yeah. And stop. See, there you go. There you go. Oh, no. <laughs> I have this joke, or no, I don't have it on today. I have this shirt that says my puns, and then it's got a koala bear with a cup of tea, right? So my puns are koala tea. And usually it takes people a while to get it. But I, I think, so maybe it's just my personality, but when I read Jesus, I see, I see that all throughout where he will make these outlandish, but then like even, even comments that are, I think, very humorous when you look at the context. Yeah. I think sometimes, I mean, the truth is no matter how much you study language, we will always miss some of the sociological connections. I mean, there are certain jokes that we tell in 2022. I almost said 2021. Yes. Yes. Um, But there are certain jokes that we tell that make... Um, reference to a cultural thing that everyone will find hilarious that's been, you know, on Facebook or TikTok or something because it's all, you know, is this is this dress green or gold? Like, we all we, we all know that, so if someone makes reference to it, we immediately like, oh, yeah. But we, we miss some of that, but I think some of the things that Jesus said, especially to people that took themselves so seriously, I almost see him occasionally not just, you know, there's the angry side you see that people like to talk about a lot, but I almost Mm -hmm. see like this twinkle in his eye, like sort of nicely roasting somebody um, in a humorous way to sort of like make it a little more gentle. Yep. You know, you go, it's funny how much humor has shifted even the last several years. You go back and you watch comedians from the nineties and eighties and the stuff they joked about and you know, what's kind of off limits today. And, and it's, it's funny how, how it shifts. Another thing that's funny is you go back, like sometimes Facebook will pull up a memory, right? Of something you thought was funny 10 years ago. And then you try to like, you're like, why did I think that was funny back then? But in that context, either it was, or I was kind of dumb, probably a mixture of both. Yeah, like both of you, like, why did I share that, right? <laughs> so I, I think our our kids eventually will get to the place where they're actually media-averse, maybe. I don't mm. know. I think my kids value presence uh, with us a lot more than maybe I did with my parents because there's a lot more distraction. 
Interesting. So I've, I've caught myself on my phone before, and yeah. I'll have a kid, dad, 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 put your phone down. I have something I'd like to tell you, you know, yeah. and uh, yeah. just interesting. Yep. Well, this isn't what we're going to talk about today. We're going to focus on how do you make wise decisions? Is that our topic? Yeah, I think I think it's an important one. We've, yeah. we've been chatting about it just a little bit, but I think sometimes we get so focused on, you know, in retrospect, that was a dumb decision. You know, I've done that, and I'm very mm-hmm. prone. Uh, thank you, Suzanne Stabile, by the way. Because of my Enneagram number, I'm very prone to beat myself up. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, man, that's a dumb decision. And then, you know, a few weeks later, another dumb decision or something. You, you look back in retrospect, like, man, I was missing something. And we never say, okay, let's not look at the decision. Let's look at what led up to this decision. And was this a a wise decision based on the steps that I took before I made it. And I think we need to have some of that reflection, that reflective process could save us from making maybe not ideal decisions in the future. And I think this, this type of thing is something that the spirit and the community of faith should help us do. So here's where my mind is going. Last, uh, no, two weeks ago, my wife and I went through, which we think pretty convinced was a belt of COVID. Um, the wait lines were, we've kind of had an outbreak in our local area here. And so we were getting what a lot of other people were getting in this area. And um, anyways, the wait lines were extremely long for tests. And so I didn't get tested, but we quarantined at home for uh, several days. And, um, you know, it got me thinking about how we make decisions. So like, let's talk about in relation to COVID and everyone feels like when everyone mentions COVID, they're always like, now I want to be careful because I don't want to be controversial here. Well, I just want to talk about how I've processed decisions. And so one of the things that has struck me, this is my finger massager, by the way, just in case you were wondering here. I thought you were about to pull some teeth or something. It's for writing. And so you just go like this, right? You just... Uh. You just massage your fingers, and they feel so much better afterwards. You must have had a gift s- card, a gift card from Christmas or something with some extra money on it. I mean, what in the world? It's better than a fidget spinner. Like, yes. By the it's end of this podcast, my fingers pen. will be so yeah. dexterous, right? Is that the word? Yeah. yeah. And so, like, how do you make wise decisions? And this whole thing of that there can be that two things can be true at one time, I think, is one that's really standing out to me. So I'll give you a practical example here. Uh, so I got vaccinated back in May of last year, right? So double vax, right? So that puts me in this elite category and culture, <laughs> right? I'm a double vaxxed person. Yeah. Yeah. Now, society says, okay, so you're double vaxxed. So now this means that you can make all kinds of jokes about people that are unvaccinated, right? You can look down your nose at them and you can say, well, I, you know, of course I got, I got double vaxxed. And, and then when I get COVID, right? Then I can say things, and I, I want to be sensitive here, but it's just some of the stuff I've seen is just kind of ridiculous. It, it, it's like when I get COVID, I have to like make a point of saying, "Well, now, thank goodness, I had strong antibodies because I got." Well, I, I see, I was a good person. I was double vaccinated. Now I wasn't boosted, but I was double vaccinated, and so I actually came through this pretty well, right? Yep. And it's just it's just frustrating to me, man, because. This is just one example of many, but to me, there's, there's, this is a classic example of how two things can be true, right? Someone will say, well, you go get a shot. There's lots of people that have gotten shot, but that I've gotten COVID, right? Such as myself. Um, 
And but the whole point is, well, no, does it does it help you? Does is there does it decrease you know your chances of whether it's going on a ventilator and, and things like that? And to me, the statistics seem very overwhelming. I work with several doctors in the writing that I do, and that's just you know it seems pretty clear to me that that it does. But there are always outlier cases, and yeah. so someone will come and they'll say, "Well, I know someone that yeah. they were double vaxxed, they were boosted, and." They had a horrible time, right? Yeah, and and to me, the the problem here is, is that it, it's how do you process and make decisions where you're not just in one camp or the other, yeah. where I can I can look at people that are unvaccinated but that have gotten COVID, right, and say, okay, you know what? Statistically speaking, yeah. you're actually you have stronger immunities, <laughs> right? Yeah. Than than someone who maybe has just recently yeah. gotten vaccinated, just statistically speaking. But yeah. our, just from our, our the way that culture is set up now, it's like you have to be in one camp or the other. And I feel like this is just um, encapsulates how much sometimes this just, this way of thinking forces us just to make really dumb decisions. Yeah, I think so. So you're, you're kind of speaking, let's just take the example of, you know, back in the day, when seatbelts became a thing, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm old enough as like, dude, we'd take 18 hour car trips and not use them. No, we would sit up front with my parents, <laughs> sit in the middle, you know, like we just yeah. never, there, it was just a very different world. And you could always say, you know, well, uh, you know, my third cousin on my mother's side actually had an aunt that had she been wearing a seatbelt, she would have died in that because she wasn't, she was saved. So we have this anecdotal evidence that's thrown yes, in. Yes, like, exactly. And, so, right. and everything is so black and white. So I, I can't say, actually, in your aunt's case, that's true. But for the majority of people, the seatbelt is a really, 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 really good idea, and it will save you. Yes. Um, and so you should wear it. Um, that, that sort of black and white, you have to be in this camp or in this camp, and based on like where you come from and your your sociological groups that you sort of identify with there's sort of tribal pressure to conform sort of like this groupthink thing that I don't know that it's very healthy and yeah, I think yeah, is exactly. exacerbated by media well right? so so like because I'm double vaxxed right that puts me in a category where oh so you're the person that you go to restaurants and you you know so just simple things right so you wear a mask you're a communist as yeah, that's uh, what you are pretty much yes <laughs> you go to your table right and then like Bill Maher pointed this out the other day on, on his podcast or his show he's like he pointed out all these these things right where we go to a table and we wear it to the table and then we take it off, right? Well, and of course, yeah. lots of areas of the US, this isn't happening at all, but uh, yeah. whether it's Canada or, or different areas in the city, it is. And and Mike Rowe, he's a guy that I've, I follow a little bit and he talks about this principle of a, what's called safety third. And the whole idea is when you get on an airplane, what do they always say? Safety is our number one priority. And his whole point is that's ludicrous, right? Because you're getting in this, you know, this tube and you're flying across the country, right? And, yeah. and they'll always say your safety is our number one priority. And then right now, they're not sitting you six feet away from anyone else. You're you're sitting there, and so that's and, and they'll you know they give the appearance that yes, safety is what we care about. But my point is like, all in life, we take calculated risk all the time. We sure. you know we we like 
you think of it, what is it, 40,000 people in the U.S., something like that, mm-hmm. die of automobile accidents a year, and I still get in the car. That's a, a calculated risk that I take. And so I guess my point, again, is, is like, yeah, you do safety things. Yeah. Like, you know, in my case, I thought getting vaccinated was smart, right? Yeah. And But then on the flip side, you don't just live your life in this state of, con- at least for me, in this constant state of fear and anxiety, like what in the world is going to happen next? And, and I need to project myself as a good person because I follow all of these rules in which some of these rules we're kind of coming to realize probably aren't as helpful like cloth yeah, it's, mask it's, as, as we were said that right? they, they, they were. Yeah. And so here we are. I am, if someone played, you know, I just flew a couple of weeks ago. Um, I was from Orlando, in, right? Uh, yeah, I was, I was in Florida for a bit Yeah, and was at a place uh, that had some pretty uh, clear mask protocols, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I appreciate. Um, do I, you know, I got on the plane, this guy, that smelled like he had ran a marathon and then walked directly onto the plane, sat next to me. So I had this mask on and as soon as he sits down, you know, it's covering, it's kind of tight against your face. And, uh, I immediately smelled this stench from this guy with that. Those would probably be pretty large molecules or whatever that I'm smelling. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, if I can smell this dude immediately, if he's aerosoling this, if he has COVID, this is literally doing nothing. But also, I agreed to fly on this plane, and this is the rules. And so, like, I am simultaneously aggravated and kind of laughing at the medical theater, and also saying, but I'm happy to do this. And I, you know, earlier on when, when it seemed like there were some, maybe some of the stuff we were doing were helpful, you know, I was happy to wipe things down. And, and as until we started learning, it's just like, being a a a good member of society while also having a like it's like you either have to like fight everything and and believe a bunch of yeah. maybe some conspiracy theories or believe all of like and i i just i don't so like i don't think sorry like, like here's a classic example right so like let's take big drunk drug companies again this is a little bit out of my league but i just want to share how, how i process stuff it's like some people will say well you know big drug drug companies they there's a lot for them to gain by selling the vaccination right i agree with that okay yep. and all throughout history you have you have stories of people you know i worked with um a number of people in the medical community last year, that was one of the things, you know, high profile people. And that was one of the things they said over and over again, was very frustrating to them was how, how, um, money would drive what there was research and, and all these things. And, and so that can be true, but then it can also be true that the vaccine is helpful and, and useful. And, and so, but we get into this, this thing where we can only choose one, one side and, I guess to me, the, the broader conversation here is, is how do we make decisions? How does this frame the way we make like theological decisions? And I yeah. think this is the problem because we might, you know, I, I've heard this how many times will, you know, maybe someone, let's just take X figure, right? Makes a compelling case. And then I hear someone say, well, yeah, but you know what this person believes on this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. 
they might have a wacky view over here, well, but do they have a good view here? And yeah. if they have a good view here, we can evaluate it. We don't have to, again, it's just, we can, we can compartmentalize some of this stuff. Yeah. And I think, so one of the things you just, we evaluate, I think one of the things that make that difficult, there's actually a book on my shelf back here uh, by Duke and Stone. I've just one of recently your, like, read five books back there. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, my office is still in transition. Uh, so how to think theologically. And one of the thing, one of the paradigms that has been really helpful for me to think about is having um, theology that's embedded and theology that's deliberative. So you've, you've arrived at this through reflection and through study within the community of faith. So you, this whole, like, I just sat on an island and read the Bible thing, I, I find that problematic. We can talk about that later if you want. But, like, responsible reading of the scriptures and thinking through their implications in a responsible community, in a responsible way, taking into history and, and the great truth, all these things. Um, <clears throat> or there's embedded theology, which has just been embedded, and you never, you never work through any of it. And so over like, time... Like, can you give me an example of that? What, like, is there something like that that you've had yeah, in your life? Yeah, so, so, yeah, for me personally. So, um, uh, something that I understood. Um, God gets... God gets 10% of my money, and I get 90%. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's what the Scriptures say. I think the Scriptures say, as, as a believer, as someone who, like, everything is the Lord's. And, mm -hmm. and maybe we can have a discussion about tithing and what that looks like for a believer. Um, my language would probably be something like, sure, maybe 10% is a good a place to start, um, but if you look at all the offerings that were given in the context of the First Testament, we're talking free will offering, sin offering, guilt, all, all of these things, free will, uh, it, it was more than just, I'm going to take 10% of my, my income, if you're really spiritual, off your gross, not your bring home, and I'm going to set it in, and everything else is mine. I can just do whatever I want. You know, like that, that is an embedded theology that in some ways is helpful. So I think if every if all these pastors out here if they had every person giving 10% of their money to the church they would be like yes right yeah and also you you almost have this like sacred secular thing going on now where god gets a little bit and i get to do whatever i want with the rest i don't think that's very scriptural but that's mm -hmm. a, mm -hmm. an embedded theology for some people that i don't know is very helpful so how uh, do you get giving, a, how do you work around that when you notice that happening in in your life well so I so there there's a thing of you know stuff that's probably in the ancient Christian creeds I could put on one of these three by five note cards here in my in my desk that I would die for. So, you know, divinity of Christ, virgin birth, um, and and some other stuff. Um, <clears throat> so apart from that, if if I feel my present understanding of the scriptures and reality being challenged in any way, um, I'm willing to like pursue some of that. And usually See, that looks yeah. like community, not just like me go read a bunch of books by myself. It involves yes. some of that. Right. But it's right. also in conversations with right. people as subject matter experts, people that I'm sure will disagree with me. That's my favorite. Yeah. Of course, I'm by name. I love fighting with people uh, <laughs> in the spirit. Uh, and so, but I think some of that is very, is healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, that's kind of my first steps, you know? It's interesting. This last week I was reading, uh, okay, 
this will me sound like a brag, but it just, I was reading for clients. So I read about 10 books on uh, racial reconciliation, justice, that, that kind of thing. And it was yep. just um, very heavy reading um, because you get into the history of lynchings and um, several of the books. So The Color of Compromise, yep. uh, a book I'd recommend to our audience. Some things I disagree yep. with, but man, by and large, it's really, really eye-opening, very helpful. Um, there's another one though I read, it was interesting. As you go back in, in history, I, I, you could tell from the beginning that the book was very um, motivated by an outcome and, and that the author had a pretty clear understanding of how history had worked, at least in, from their mindset, and how everything in history kind of fit together. Right. And it just every, you know, you could tell. So this is why this happened back in the 1900s. And then this is why this event in the 1850s happened. And, and everything all pointed to this very neat conclusion. And as I read that, I thought, this is how I process this in my mind, is that's rarely how history, true history works. That true history is, is very messy. So you have, yeah. you have what, George Whitfield, right? Yeah incredible voice and incredible communicator yeah and amazing preacher what's he own a plantation right yeah like what in the world how do you how do you even begin to wrap your mind around that yeah jonathan edwards another, another giant yeah great not really great good Puritans. on this stuff. i've got some not, i've got some prayers yeah. of his written here that are beautiful and I'll yet tell you, i'll tell you what if if you're a, a black person and you're reading that and you See his perspective on that. I could totally see how you would want nothing to do with Jonathan Edwards or George Whitfield. Yeah. Totally understand that. And and then you have even Martin Luther King, right? Who just celebrated that uh, that day a few few days ago. Um, a guy who just I mean, his writing is so powerful. Yeah. Like you ever go back and you read some of his words, just the way he he structured sentences and just one after the other is like bam, 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 like. Yeah. So, so clear and Poetic, and right? It's clear yeah, that he, he has yeah. a preaching background, right? Yeah. Yep. But then morality issues, right? Had, yep. had serious moral issues. And, yep. and so history is complicated. You, you go back and you go into the Old Testament and just repeatedly, right? And that's the whole point of, you know, use that phrase, the story of God, right? That Janan and I are going through in our podcast. The whole story of God is, it's about his story. And yep. there are flawed people all along the way that just make horrible mistakes. And so I guess why I'm saying that is like, okay, going back to our earlier conversation, right, with COVID and all that, I can wake up tomorrow and if someone were to, you know, prove that let's take vaccines, make no impact, you know, for whatever yeah. reason, they, they make no impact. I would have no problem saying, okay, well, I got two and I thought I was right, but I was wrong. I have no yeah. problem with that. Like there's no... Yeah. And, and I, th I think, though, the issue is when we get so locked into a a view that we have to, like, constantly keep justifying it. Yeah. It's embedded. We, we run into, yeah. It, it, becomes, it becomes part of who you are. Mm. And so if you're going to be an X or a real X, these things are the core. And oftentimes they're not actually the core. And you see yeah. this with Christianity of all, all denominations. One, one thing that has been a blessing to me is to interact with so many people from all different part of the big C church. Yeah. And it's been heartening to, to hear the problems that they have in their local places too. So I'm just like, Oh, there's, yeah. there's just people everywhere. There's, there's people 
And sometimes, even if you have a great deliberative process and you you consult two or three friends you respect and you you know you have all these little systems because some some of us think that if we just have the right system then it'll all fix itself. But despite all the system, you end up making a lousy decision, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And then reflecting on that and seeing God's grace and mercy even redeem lousy decisions for his yeah. glory. Like it's just it does take the pressure off. But to that end, I do think there needs to there needs to be some reflection on the back end of bad decisions. And I think there should be some sort of process um, for making wise decisions. I think there should be a process that we run through. I don't think life should just happen to us. Sometimes it does. But sometimes the decisions that if we string four or five together that aren't great are a product of a, a of a less than ideal system or a system that has an opportunity to grow. And I would say there has to be a point in your life where you're able to think logically think through these things devoid of outside influence. That that's not always totally possible, but what do I mean? So if let's say you go to a Christian university or Bible college, or you're raised in a strong Christian home, and you hold on to that faith, and you're constantly surrounded by people of of that faith. If you're not, if you never are in a position where you're the minority in the room, if yeah. your viewpoint is is the minority and is maybe viewed as a little bit weird, and you don't have to really um, articulate that in a way that will make sense to people outside your circle, if you never have that. You can go, I think, years and years believing things that only hold up in your circle. And and so I think this is I think this is hard that especially, you know, as I've just kind of observed, when people get in their thirties, forties, you know, now I'm in my thirties, yeah. right? Thirties, forties, you start to get set in a way of thinking, and then the cost for going out of that way of thinking or changing your mind on a key issue becomes yeah. very high. Russell Moore, we had him on the podcast uh, last year, and yeah. you know he's no longer part of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's a whole different yeah. D- discussion. Yeah, but he paid a decent cost because he changed his mind on some key yep. issues, and and I think that's that's the problem. You see this over and over again. I mean, Dave, I'm sure you've noticed this. It's like if someone has a crisis of faith, or maybe they get kicked out of a church or something like this, and then all of a sudden they they become really authentic. Right. Yeah. Oh, and then they have this crisis of faith and I, I'm not trying to make yeah. light of that, but yeah. then it's like, and I'm like, where was that all along? Right. Yeah. It was probably there, but they had to suppress it and not really have those tough conversations because they were, they were fearful that if they did, that impacts their bottom line, that impacts the way people view them, all this stuff. Yeah. yeah. I guess, I guess um, I'm at a point personally that I, I just... I feel rooted in my faith, and so I'm not. I'm not afraid of tough questions. I'm not afraid of questions I can't answer. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid that people disagree with me about answers to certain questions. I think uh, one of my classes that's the favorite one I teach probably. Um, uh, we work through a lot of um, worship service theology, a, l- a lot of things that go into planning and leading worship. And I tell students, um, I really don't care. Maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but I'm, I really don't care where you land on some of these things that you're working through, as long as you've critically thought through them with a Bible open within the context of this community. Mm-hmm. Because I, I think 
I think sometimes we drive people so hard toward our own subcultural versions of whatever we're trying to propagate. Yeah. That we we never it, it ends up creating division, I think, because we don't end up realizing even how much we have in common with people that share Christ as Savior. It's always, right. you know, it's like we always have to have reasons and arguments against these people rather than saying, you know, actually we agree about like 98% of things and yeah. come some persecution, we are going to stop having some of these other conversations. It's just going to yeah. happen. Because yeah. like this is my brother, this is my sister, you know, but when you have this time, you sort of, you have to teach, you need to embed in these people exactly why what you think is right. How do you do that with kids? Because I, I've thought that through, yeah. that, you know, four, two, and a zero-year-old, and there's certain things that I know that are true, right? Yep. You're not teaching them that two plus two is five. No. And so this, similarly with the Christian faith, I want them to understand yeah. there are some things that are just true. Yeah, and some things for them as they have, they do not, you know, I was uh, uh, being a teacher of fourth through uh, college when I first started. So I had little kids starting in fourth grade in band all the way through college. And I like to make like a sarcastic jokes and rhetorical questions and stuff like that in class. And like about seventh or eighth grade, everybody found my humor funny. Around <laughs> fourth and fifth grade, these kids were like, so when I would say, oh yeah, totally, you can just leave the room whenever you want. They just walk up and go. Like yeah. they have no capacity to understand it because their their brains are so black and white and literal, and mm. that should color how I disciple my five-year-old. I know some people are big into talking to their children like they're adults, and I understand what they mean by that. And also, I don't think my daughter at five needed a new or could handle a nuanced discussion about how we got our Bible. Well, at you some know? point— It's just the Bible is the Word I, of God. Well, Thank God for it. Yeah. And at some point, you have to treat it like it's real, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. Because I, I've heard different people say, well, I just don't want to influence my kids, and I want them to make... Well, you wouldn't do that in any, any other area that's, of life. That's you wouldn't really do that bad with history. philosophy. You wouldn't do that that's with mathematics. Really, social, no. you, know, you wouldn't do that with that. And the issue is, I would say, very gently but forcefully, I guess, that you're having an issue of faith. That there's something... And so I'll give you a practical example. I shared this on, on Story of God podcast, but... Uh, the other day, I'm driving home with Zoe and actually all three of my kids. Zelly is screaming and she's crying. You know, she's only four months old. And, you know, so I'm like, hey, so we, we should just pray for her right now. And so she's crying nonstop, 15 minutes. And so I put my hand on her and I pray, you know, God, would you let Zelly know how much you love her and how much we love her? And instantly, she stopped crying. And Zoe's like, hey, she's asleep. Like, like, I mean, just instantly, no pause, nothing. And in that moment, I could sense the presence of God in that car, where yeah. even that little child, even I was, I was reading about that in Matthew today, where how, how much God cares about children, right? Yeah. And um, so that, and so I talked through that with Zoe. Zoe, God cares about Zelly, even though she's so young. And she, so God cares about you. But then on the flip side of things, I I leave room, and I hope this is right, I think it is, um, for them to make decisions. So, like, it, in terms of, like, um, I don't want—I want there to be room 
for them to understand why they're choosing what they're choosing. Yeah, it's like um, controlled failure, right? Like, so they're yeah. still in your house. They're still like a set yeah. of rules. And also, uh, homework, great example. A student, a, a, one of my kids comes home. And sometimes I will say, no, today we're going to get our homework done. We've got piano lessons at six. Just get it done. We'll be done. You don't have to do anything when you get back late. But other days we'll say, okay, you don't have to do your reading now. But just so you know, the consequence of that is you're going to have to do it later. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have free to choose. Now, if we have a meltdown at 8 p.m. because she doesn't feel like reading, or he, it's one she in our house typically, um, she says, um, you know, I don't want to do this now. I'm so tired. I'm like, yeah, but you chose, you chose to do this. Now, obviously, I'm not going to give her choices about, but it's like a controlled environment to fail in. And I think people need to fail. Yeah. Like we should, we should not. We should let them experience consequences. And then next time, she might choose differently. She might not. She might find out, hey, I really like reading for 20 minutes before I go to bed, which right. um, she has kind of figured that out. But yeah, 100%, there has to be a tension there. Well, I've, I've um, heard different parents saying, okay, why well, let my kids choose if they're going to go to church? Because I, I didn't want to force them into like going to church. I didn't want that, that to be a grudge to them. Well, no kid is going to want to go to church. You yeah. know, actually, but, ours is love it. So yeah. uh, we're, maybe we're outliers. Um, yeah. You know, not out buyers, but out liars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so ours love it, but lots of. I mean, I'm assuming when they're ten or twelve, if you give them the option of staying home and watching TV or or something like that and going to church, yeah. there's probably going to be days when they just want to stay home, eat candy, and watch TV. Yes. And and so to me, it's like, okay, well, yeah, duh, you don't let them make that decision because that's yeah. part of again it's like going back to mathematics if two and two equals four i mean do i really believe yeah. that this stuff is actually very important for their development but on the flip side of things like you said like controlled things all right so zoe you know listen um i'm not gonna like simple things like uh, they go often go to the rescue mission with me um yeah. and we'll volunteer there okay if you don't want to go to the rescue mission tonight you don't have to go but she always wants to go. We make it fun and that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but that's probably not something I know. It's not something I'm going to force on her. I want her yeah. to love and enjoy doing that. And so having these varying things, I think, where they can make decisions in different ways are, is really important. Yeah. And they need to learn how to make decisions, right? So in the same way, so something that could be observed sometimes if you have an environment where it's very structured home, mm-hmm. everything is, the decisions are made for them. And then when they get into 18, 19 year old and they have to make their own deliberative decisions, they lack the capacity or maturity to do so because they've never had to make a decision. And oftentimes, yeah. or at least I've seen some people come from great homes, make some very lousy decisions just because they've never had to make them. They've never had to, they've never been walked through that process. It's almost like, um, it's the difference between a parent sitting alongside a student and giving help when needed and letting them struggle f- through it versus like um, writing down the answers and then like, hey, you can copy my, you know, like, no, yep. you're going to write this. Yep. This is something you need to learn. And I think all of us can keep growing. There's nobody, I certainly haven't arrived. I've made s- some terrible decisions that we can talk for hours if you'd like. But increasingly, wisdom uh, guided by the spirit and increasing underst- increased understanding about God his word the community of faith i mean how many times has have we po- 
bounce stuff off of one another, really serious, deep things. Like that's important. That matters. Um, I hope, I hope all of everybody in our audience has people in their life like that, where you you can do more than talk about, um, the great football games over the weekend. I know they were good football games. They were except for the dumb NFL rule <laughs> where the when you get to overtime, rule. you suddenly yeah. flip a coin and then whoever gets the coin yeah. flip suddenly gets an incredible advantage and you turn yeah. what otherwise was an incredible game into like a 50 50. It's like for the gold medal in hockey. Oh, you know, this is a great game, but you know what? We really don't have to. I know everyone's on the edge of their seats and could watch like two hours more of this, but let's settle in a shootout, right? Yeah, shootouts, you know, garbage. So, yeah, again, that's an example of people that make very poor decisions. Just yep, this not wise. Circle. No, yep. no, they have not heard our podcast. What do you do when someone's 23, 24, 25? They, um, they haven't learned to make decisions well or wise decisions. And they get thrown into one of these two camps that we talked about earlier where, you know, maybe it's media driven where I'm a good person because I do this and I don't do this and, you know, whatever. How do you help them make good decisions? Yeah. So Jesus was kind of he that has ears, let him hear. And in some ways... Um, the, first of all, you got to have the Spirit's guidance. I think you have to be rooted and grounded yourself within, in Christ and in the in the community of faith. So, there are times when somebody is extremely ha- has a lot of embedded theology or is embedded in a certain view of the news or something, and God will reveal to me like, "Hey, I know you really want to like get in their face and challenge them, but this is not the time for that." And so, I've found that listening. Okay, just being present with them and asking questions is probably more valuable than me monologuing. Now, I've done my fair share of monologuing. Students that I've mentored and hung out with know that I tend to monologue too much probably. But monologuing only comes from having a pretty solid relationship with somebody, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. but, but, but be willing to dialogue and be willing to say, yeah, I hadn't thought of that or I mean, they asked me a question like, well, what do you think about this at this point? Like hear, hearing and then, okay, so how did you get from where you are to the to this decision? You know, or maybe even just kind of like Monday morning quarterbacking a, a bad decision. They made a, a choice. It was bad. We can say like, don't ever do the bad thing again, which is pretty good advice. Or we can say, how, what was, what was, what were the steps that led you from where you were to making the bad decision? Okay, where was in in my you know like where was the where did what lie did you believe along the way that Satan told you that caused you to succumb to this temptation? What identity thing? What view of God? I think those are the crucial questions, not just the behavior, but the underlying the underlying uh, forces and motives behind that behavior. Because I think if you can understand that, and to tie it back to some of our Man, the the Enneagram stuff, man. In the last couple of months, month or two since we've had that Suzanne one really Stabile, got to you, huh? It did because it God has used that in my life pretty incredibly yeah. the last couple of months, and just really peeling back some layers and making me uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but I think we need that more than we just need behavior modification. I think behavior modification is good, but we we need we need to do some deliberation and having. 
the wisdom, the guts to be able to say, oh, you know what? I'm wrong. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of a crazy concept in today's culture, but you know, just simply saying, you know, when you hold your arguments loosely, you know, if, if someone comes up with a convincing argument for my theological framework is often here, I have no problem saying, okay, you know what? I believe that for a number of years, that's kind of embarrassing, but you're right. I need to switch. Yeah. That's fine. Right. That, that's, that's fine because it, to, it, I think a big part of this is approaching, um, correction and new information, looking at that as, as help and not as a, as a threat. Yeah, it's that, grace, you know, right? Yeah, kind of going back to going back to Proverbs that when when someone corrects you. So, I had a client the other day, and they did something I think it was so great. You know, how many times if someone, if someone, um, I don't know, if someone corrects us, then it's easy to kind of give them the silent treatment, or kind of pull back and you know, well, why did you say that, or why did they say this? I was just talking to one of my friends who, who was going through this. And, um, what this client did, I thought was so great. He, he makes it a practice when people give him criticism, he gets them a gift card. Now I told him I'm going to give him lots of critiques on his book, um, <laughs> but he, he gets them a gift card and then he has this whole strategy that he does. He'll follow up with them the next day and say, Hey, I just want to thank you so much for that. And if, if you ever see that in my life again or something else i want you to have the freedom to to speak up and then he even touches base i think like a week later and and says you know hey just wanted to say thank you again how am i doing in this area and what he does that i think is so great is he creates a safe space for people to be able to talk to him yeah and so now the next time when something happens, that person knows, okay, I can bring this to him. And it's not going to be, oh, what's he going to say? Is he going to respond well? Is he going to get mad or, or push me away? There's all of that stuff is reduced because he's proactive on the front end. And so yeah, I think that was ever, great. Do you ever, so obviously you're probably writing some sort of leadership book, right? I'm assuming. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I've, I've heard people, you know, oh, people aren't honest with me. You know, uh, people won't be honest with me, you know, sometimes because of the position, which is true. Like if you have a very high, hierarchical view right. of the world, you're going right. to struggle to like, you know, tell the man what he needs to hear, so to speak. Yep. And um, however, I think people that have any level of discernment can tell if you are open to criticism or not yep. or open to conversation, even, even times, you know, you think of like your spouse, you go to her, you know, you go to your Janam with a criticism and then you find out like, actually you were the one in the wrong mostly. Like, yeah, there's no, f there's no fear in me for saying, you know what? You're right. I was just being a jerk or I didn't see that. Thank you. You know, like there's no, there's no fear of saying I was wrong. You know, by God's grace, I want this to get better. Help keep me accountable for this. There, there's right. a difference. People can sense whether or not you're kind of open to that sort of criticism or that kind of dialogue. And so if you're not, then like, yeah, I feel bad for people like that because, yeah. you know, like, because you end up going years doing dumb yeah, things. And you might have, you know, huge blind spots and no one's mm -hmm. going to say anything because they yep. know it's like you're impervious to to any sort of 
change. Yep. You know, like you've yep. arrived, right? Yep. And so I, yeah. Well, let's land this plane here because we got to wrap up. I think just kind of circling back, making good decisions. I mean, how, how do you make those? Again, simple things. Two things can be true, right? Two things can be true. We don't have to land in just one camp. Having good people around us, right? Yeah. Having having a wise counsel around us. Yeah. Um, having the grace uh, to admit when we're wrong and yeah. not holding things so personally that when yeah. our worldview or, or thing is challenged, that all of a sudden it's an indictment on us that yeah. we actually love correction. We love yeah. rebuke, I guess, as the Proverbs would say. Yeah. And, and so I think ha- ha- holding things loosely, right, I think is just, just a big thing. So anything you want to add to that? I would just say, like, spiritual people change their mind. They have the courage. And sometimes when you get in a position, you have vested interest in saying, you know, certain yeah. embedded, embedded theology thing. You really do. And it takes yep. courage. It takes absolute spirit-led courage to say, no, this is the right way. This or this is under God. What I think the script, the text is saying, or whatever. This decision's the the one that's right for me and my family, and this is what we're going to do. And also, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yep. This should be regular. A spirit, spirit leading and spirit filling is evidenced by how quick we say, "You know what? Yeah, I blew that," or "You know what? I hadn't thought of that," or "What do you think?" Like, there's just this, there's this radical submission to one another out of reverence for Christ that should be a characteristic. Mm-hmm of of uh the body and i i want to be a part of that body yep me too because if you guys want to make wise decisions just email dave at the mondaychristian.com <laughs> don't do it don't. you're going through a crisis right now in your life email da- Ezra. dave at the mondaychristian.com <laughs> and uh free counseling 24 7 and yeah. uh yeah well no i think it's hopefully it has been helpful and yeah actually seriously if you're listening to this you're struggling with something feel free to reach out as we're at the mondaychristian.com or dave at the mondaychristian.com if you want not quite as good advice you can yeah. always go to dave hey i would just say we love feedback so if you yeah. have a criticism seriously if you uh you hate one of our guests or you hate one of us in christian love of course we'd love mm-hmm. to hear we'd love to dialogue with you yeah. about whatever concern you might have so just we're opening ourselves up to that and once again yep. hey thank you for those of you that support us and uh make it possible for us to do this every week uh it's a blessing and we pray that it is a blessing to you as well as you endeavor to walk with the lord in the every day of your life all right well we'll talk to you all again next week You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 